In this episode, we interview Reverend Hyperion about the unnamed path. We review Kellyana's new album, Elemental. And as always, your witchy astrology forecast for the month of July. Hey guys, patchouli, it's not soap. The Modern Witch Podcast is about to start. And welcome back to the Modern Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Hunter. We are back from hiatus. Uh, it was definitely a surprise hiatus. I ended up going back to Ohio to share, just see my family again, to uh, be a part of the community out there again. Um, the Kitlin family was excellent enough to host a party for me for all my old friends and, and people who are up in Columbus. So I really appreciate that. Um, I know that, that was definitely something that um, took some time and energy. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Um, so I'm not going to apologize because I definitely had to see my family, but that is your explanation for not getting a podcast in June. Um, I, I got some interesting reviews on iTunes. Um, somebody with the, the, to- the thing underneath the topic, it said pod fading and then question mark and then said, we have a great show, but I haven't put anything on in a month. Well, that's why. There you go. Um, I got some, also had some feedback from some people. And we're, let's talk about the feedback from, from people. One of the things, I got an email um, forwarded to me, and it was somebody saying that they went to go listen to the podcast because it said Christopher Penzak on it. And so they, they downloaded it and hit play. And then I said in the beginning of the show that we would be talking to Christopher Penzak, but then it just was Storm Fairy Wolf uh, in, in the show. Well, here's the thing. You have to listen to the initial first half hour of the show in order to get to the interview. That's pretty much with any show, especially with a show like mine, where we do one really cool um, interview with somebody and we have some time to fill up. So you have to wait till the end of the show, or at least towards the end of the show, or the last hour of the show or whatever, to, to hear the, the interview. So my advice for that person is to listen to the whole podcast before you start to email people. Um, just putting that out there, just putting that out there. Other than that, we've done great. Um, we, we have a brand new YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com slash modernwitchpodcast. Um, and on that, I can actually put some weekly kind of things on there. It, it's nothing for me to, to um, you know, open up my iPhone and take a video and, and post it onto YouTube or anything. So definitely, if you're looking for weekly kind of things, check out the Modern Witch Podcast uh, YouTube. And there's definitely some more information about that. We are underway. We are looking at completely redoing the website, um, connecting it to another website. So there's lots of kind of things going on. So definitely keep looking at the Modern Witch uh, podcast online because, hey, there's going to be some major changes happening that I'm really excited about. Um, We are now looking at just about 4,000. We have over 4,000 subscribers. We're looking at um, actually pretty damn near 5,000 subscribers on iTunes. And each podcast is averaging just about 2,000 listeners. So that's pretty awesome. That's pretty amazing. So I want to say just thank you for that from everybody here at the Modern Witch Podcast. Thank you for being our fans. Thank you for uh, spreading the word because, you know, helping us advertise and spreading the word about the Modern Witch Podcast is like helping baby pandas in Asia. Anyway, so one of the things I want to talk about real quick before we hit the show is uh, one of the things that I do before I get ready for the podcast is I actually get online. I look at pagan blogs that are online. Um, just And one of the things that I came across was the story of a woman who um, was a practicing witch and then she became a Christian again. It was her story that, that you know, what brought her to Christianity. And, and I found it kind of offensive, actually. 
um, because she was talking about how in high school she was practicing witchcraft um, because she was watching videos on, on, on TV. And now, mind you, this is the 80s. So the only like real witchy thing that was on TV was like Bewitched. Um, but in the show, they were referencing like Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Charmed. She ends up um, practicing witchcraft. And her when she was 17, her spirit guide starts telling her that she needs to kill herself because if she kills herself, then all of the all of the depression, all the things that she's that she's experiencing, those are all go away. It'll be a clean slate. Um, so at 17 years old, she gets in her car and it's leaking carbon dioxide. She runs off the side of the road trying to make it look like an accident. And she wakes up next to her car that is completely totaled and she is somehow outside of her car. And she realizes that she even failed at killing herself. And so it's very dramatic in the video. It's all very dramatic. And so she ends up graduating from high school six months later, goes to college, meets these two women who are practicing Christians. And they don't preach to her, but but she listens to them talking about God and about Jesus. And lo and behold, she gets invited to this this, um, prayer circle thing. And they end up somehow getting her into this group and... So on and so on. Anyway, she becomes a Christian. And, and now she's like this anti-witchcraft advocate. And here's my thing. Okay, first of all, your spirit guide is not going to try to convince you to kill yourself. If anything, your spirit guide is, gonna, is going to convince you that you don't need to kill yourself. Um, and it kind of sounded to me, I, I mean, from a, from a priestly standpoint, it sounded to me that what was really going on was that her, her real spirit guide was saying, hey, you need to focus on other things. Um, they talk in the video about how she would, she'd be communicating with these spirits and then she would let them come into her body and how like she would hear a ball roll across the floor and things like that. That ball rolling across the floor was probably your spirit guide saying, hey, get the hell out of there. Um, so what was she talking to a spirit guide? Absolutely not. I don't, I don't believe that at all. But the thing that got me with this is that I, I'm going through these videos and I'm, and I'm realizing that all the videos that these ex-Christians are putting out there are really these videos about how they were socially awkward and how they got involved with witchcraft because they didn't really fit in anywhere and that they felt like they, because they loved nature, that somehow they were pagan because of that. Um, they felt that because no one would, no one would be their friend, that they were just a social, um, you know, kind of outcast and what else would they get into but witchcraft because they they could find these books in the library and et cetera et cetera et cetera and actually that was, that's not necessarily my experience with becoming a witch it just it all happened very organically um becoming a priest happened very organically you know all these things it's it's taken years to get to the point where i'm i am where i am today uh you know you just don't just wake up and oh i'm a witch that's not how it works it's just like you don't wake up and go oh i'm a high priestess um there's there's a process to that to happen um, but I started thinking about it and I thought, you know what, there's some truth and there's some validity to these um, people who are coming out and saying that all pagans and witches are social rejects who don't fit into society. And so they find some sort of outcast little group of people um, who are also socially awkward and socially weird, um, who don't fit into anything. And they're also pagans. And so they, you know, they're all just big, happy, weird pagans together. And as I'm kind of letting this settle and kind of percolate in my brain, I thought to myself, how, how true is that? How, how true is it that most of us are like that? Is that true? Is that not true? And, and then I looked and there's this whole like YouTube series about like crazy Wiccans and how, one of the things was how this girl um, was at a water fountain and she was looking at this, she was standing in line at this water fountain in school and this is college, mind you. 
and she sees this this very overweight girl who kind of smelt funny um like bent over a water fountain and she's taking a drink and this girl to herself says i bet she's wiccan i bet she's a pagan and then all of a sudden she you know this this girl who's taking a drink like stands up upward and the pinnacle falls out of or this pentagram falls out of her shirt and she says oh of course and then there's this whole video about how she just kind of thought that was strange that she looked at this girl and because she was overweight and she kind of smelled funny um that she must be a she must be wicked and then lo and behold true true enough she was and she was kind of defending her viewpoint and she kind of felt bad about it but at the same point in time well it was true um but there's this like social cultural block when it comes to people who practice the craft and people who don't and it's not just the christians because there's there's all kinds of groups out there who aren't christian who look down on paganisms as as pagans as if we were on the lowest caste and I think that's that's interesting because in our community, in our culture, we're very much so about becoming self-empowered. Um, we're very much so about how we ourselves um, really are sacred beings, that you know we are sovereign beings. And that part of really becoming a witch is to acknowledge that and to strengthen that belief within ourselves. So I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm listening to this and I'm questioning the validity behind what these people are saying. And then I thought after, especially after after I saw that little series on YouTube about these people who were talking about Wiccans who weren't Wiccan and it kind of hit me in a, in a weird place because I thought to myself, well, this is kind of double-sided. You know, we do have the people who obviously need mental help coming to, to coming to the world of witchcraft because they're looking for something that they don't quite understand. Um, you know, like with the Sarah girl, Sarah needed to be on antidepressant medicine. She didn't need to become a witch. You know, Sarah needed to look for enlightenment. She didn't need to summon up spirits in her bedroom. Um, and because she chose to, to go down this path of, of witchcraft. And remember in the eighties, witchcraft, like the books out there about witchcraft were really kind of strange. I mean, they're not, there's nothing like what we have nowadays, um, you know, they were all like, you had to have this special herb, you know, and you had to have this, this special knife that was forged by a whatever. And I mean, it was this really big deal. Like, I mean, it was very, very pomp and circumstance. And witchcraft was very not so natural in the 80s, at least the books that were really out there for the public. They were really kind of strange, whereas I feel that the the books that are out now are less supernatural and more natural. Um, but anyway, so we have all these people who are coming to the craft and they're, they need help. Like the Sarah girl, she needed help. She needed some hardcore help. Um, and I know that we have had people here in the store who've come in who needed to seek medical attention. They didn't need to talk to, um, a psychic, you know, they needed, they needed a doctor. They needed an actual, uh, you know, a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist to talk to. They, they needed medication, you know, um, it's really kind of strange. You know, I've, I've, I've had a gentleman who I knew back in Ohio um, who was in his late 60s who was really depressed and he wanted to be something special, but all he did was just, like, hold up in his room and smoke pot all day, and he'd get all the kids to come over from the neighborhood and smoke pot with him, and it was, like, this big thing. And I remember hearing these stories about from, from – uh, actually, one of the guys was dating one of the girls that this had happened to um, – about how he would he he claimed to be a a, a high priest and um and here's the thing at, at I, I was young when this happened and i had met him through a group of friends and he had asked me if i would teach him the craft and i said um okay sure you know and i thought i can't teach him much because i was i was young i was i was not even a junior in high school yet i don't think 
Um, I said, sure, I can't teach you much, but I can teach you what I do know. And this man's in his 60s. And as and we really didn't never really sat down. We talked about some stuff, but it was never like a class. There was nothing formal that happened with it. Um, but anyway, so we him and I had a falling out um, because he was dark and creepy. And um, I was like, that's not something I want in my life. Um, and he ends up um, telling these people in the, out, out in just our little community in Ohio, this little this little town that. Um, if if they if these young girls would sleep with him, then he could make them by virtue of his semen, uh, he could make them high priestesses. Now here's the thing: he never even went through a class with me, let alone with anybody else. Um, he just woke up one day and decided that he was a high priest um, because that's just how apparently in his mind how it worked, and because he was a high priest, he could um, you know get these just by virtue of sex could initiate these young girls into being high priestesses in witchcraft. And again, that's not quite how it works. If that was how it worked, um, well, I won't make any dirty jokes, but that's not how it works. Um, and so we have a lot of people like this who, who really just aren't mentally like right there, you know, who are involved in the craft. And I think to myself, what do we do with those people? I mean, when, when you see somebody who really needs help, what do you do with them? A lot of the craft, because just by virtue of, of, what, of how we believe and have about how we think of the spirit and the soul and, and shamanic practices, a lot of us want to entertain that. A lot of us want to entertain those people who obviously really aren't quite with it. Um, and, and one of our big things in, in, in paganism and in witchcraft is that, well, we love everybody. You know, we really do. We, we just love everybody. Well, that's not always true. You know, and, and I hate to use that term fluffy bunny because I think that's kind of a misnomer. But, um, you know, it's not all love and light all the time. Sometimes the, the best, the, the greatest act of loving somebody is to tell them to go talk to a doctor and not entertain their personal crazy psycho moments. Um, because what that does essentially is that those people who are having those crazy experiences, um, who are living in this really strange reality, those people are going out into the world and saying, hey, I'm a witch. And then people who aren't witches are looking at them and they're going, oh, that's what a witch looks like. And, oh, that's what a witch talks like. And, and oh, well, that's what witches do. Oh, he's kind of crazy. So that just gives us this, this, this extra thing that we have to break down, an extra wall we have to break down, and, and just the regular community, the regular world. And I ask you, is, do, we, are, do we need any more of that? No, we've got plenty of that going on. So, that, you know, that's kind of one aspect to it. We have these people who are mentally not fit necessarily to be walking around the earth without medication who come to the craft because they're looking for something. And then what does the craft do? Well, the people in it um, want to be something special too. So they entertain this person and, and their kind of strange tangential thoughts and, and their, their definitely psychotic um, expressions. You know, that's kind of one aspect to it. But then we have people who are already in the community who definitely, um, what's a good way to put that? Definitely, are kind of screwed up themselves, you know, they're, and you know, these people, uh, we call them wing nuts. Um, and I've talked a little bit, I just talked about wing nuts, but, um, you know, they're the wing nuts who are already involved within the craft and who realize that it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of energy, um, to become a high priest or high priestess. So they're just going to get out of bed one day and declare themselves a high priest and high priestess. And because no one's going to question them on it, they're just going to do it. Well, that's not how it works. And I know I, I can I know personally I've called out ten people, ten people 
who were lying about their tradition, who were lying about their titles. And I have no problem with that because here's the thing. I went through the work. I went through the years of study. I went through, um, you know, the rituals. And I went through the working with the community to become a high priest. And I have no problem calling out on calling somebody out who has not. Um, especially, you know, again, you know, 90% of the traditions that are represented within paganism, um, specifically witchcraft, are very, are very, very keen on lineage. And so you can always trace back your lineage to the to the like the the, the first person who created the per, whoever it was that created the tradition itself. So if you're Wiccan, you need to be initiated into a Wiccan coven. Um, you can't just read a book called Wicca and then become a Wiccan. You have to be initiated into Wicca by somebody who was already initiated, and you can trace your lineage all the way back to Gerald Gardner um, or Dorian Valiente or one of their students. Something you know, essentially, you can trace all the way back to the beginning. Um, and now, like, the Wiccan Book of Shadows is online, so anybody can get a hold of it, where once it was this very sacred kind of item and that you had to hand copy from the, your high priest or high priestess's copy. And it was, this, it was this very beautiful kind of passing down of knowledge. And now it's online, so we can just get it online. Well, just because you got that offline doesn't make you a high priest or high priestess. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot about doing the work, putting the energy in there, being true to what you say you are. Um, if you're going around and you're saying that you're capable of doing these things or that you've had these experiences that you really never had, you're kind of bastardizing the craft and you're taking something that I know a lot of us like that, that name, witch, having that Devin Hunter, witch, um, you know, part of my name, part of my identity. I'm very proud of that. I'm exceptionally proud of that. And there's nothing more irritating than, uh, somebody who, who really bastardizes that and, and doesn't honor that. Um, not just for myself, but for the community, because I see a lot of really good happening out, out there in the pagan community and the witchy community. And I'm, I'm kind of paused to, um, allow those people closer to me because I know they're not truthful. They're not speaking the truth. And here's the thing. If you want to be that, if you want to be a high priest or high priestess, then respect yourself enough and respect that title enough, respect that rank enough to do the work to deserve it. Like I said, you don't just wake up and, and suddenly you're a high priest or high priestess. That's not how it works. And like I said, if you're not this person, then you know somebody who is. And I can tell you, you know, from talking to like specifically like the Wiccan elders, the Wiccan elders are pissed because there's a lot of people going around saying they're Wiccan when they're really not. Um, I know I've, I've encountered people, you know, being here at the store, um, the owners are, are in the fairy tradition. Um, and I know I've, I've seen people say, oh, I'm fairy. And there, I, there's this specific question that is asked that's very kind of, it's only an initiatory um, uh, answer that is given to this question. Um, and that all, all I have to do is they, all I have to ask is a certain name um, of, of a member of their pantheon. And if the person can't answer, then they're not fairy. Because that name is only given upon initiation. So, you know, I've, I've seen people get called out. Oh, I'm fairy. Well, just because you read a book about fairy doesn't make you fairy. Just like, just, you know, just because you, 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 you read a book about witchcraft doesn't make you a witch. It's not how it works. It's time, it's energy, it's study. And there's nothing more irritating to me. There's nothing more irritating to people who are out there doing the work, who are out there involved in the community, than people who are something that they say that they, you know, something that, something that they're not. And it's just really, really frustrating. So that's my little, that's my little two cents for today. Um, if you want to watch the video, I will definitely, um, I can link it up to our YouTube account. So definitely check it out on the, on the Modern Witch Podcast YouTube channel. Um, um, we, we just got a chance to interview 
um, Reverend Hyperion that's coming out later in the show. First, before we get to that, I would love to review Kellyana's new CD, Elemental. It is absolutely phenomenal. Um, let's, take a, let's take a quick second and listen to a soundbite from it. from Kellyana's new city, Elemental. Um, phenomenal, ladies and gentlemen. It, it's really great. Uh, you know Kellyana's a favorite of mine, so this is nothing new. Um, we had her on the show. I hope to have her on again because it, it was an honor to have her um, because she is such a little star in the pagan community now. Having her here was just awesome, and it, it definitely helped us out <laughs> you know, with listeners. Um, but she is, she's amazing. And, and in this work specifically, one of the things that I liked, I got to sit down in Ohio um, the day that her CD came out, and the the woman that I was with, Heather, um, Lady Heather, she has a store, and, and one of the things with her store, VioletFlameGifts.com, check it out. Um, you know, she has Kellyana CDs, and so we were listening to um, the CD, and I was just in love. I mean, of course, just fell in love instantly with Kellyana's voice. Specifically in this album, one of the things that I noticed the most of is that, again, you get to really like feel her vocal range. It goes from that really like like low sultry kind of sound to just her wailing out these these goddess inspired sounds and it really struck with me. Now there's a lot of like more chanty things on this album and I really liked that because as witches, well, that's what we do. We do a lot of chanting and it raises a lot of energy and it very much so feels to me that within this album what she was what came across to me was that she was tapped into that she was tapped into that empowerment so every song that you listen to is this little act of empowerment and so you definitely definitely have to listen to it um let's let's take one more second before i tell you what i re- how, how i reviewed it which i'm sure you're going to be shocked at um and listen let's listen to one more song Kellyana, if you're listening to this, your new album, Elemental, according to the official Modern Witch Podcast review, gets a five out of five, and that is cauldrons, in case you were wondering. You get five cauldrons out of five cauldrons. Um, had to make it cauldrons, because come on, what else is witchier? Uh, so congratulations, your album is amazing, and uh, if you're not uh, able to get a hold of this, ladies and gentlemen, go to iTunes. You can just type it right in. It's right there. You can get it off of Amazon or you can go to her website, kellyana.com. And that's kellyana, K-E-L-L-I-A-N-N-A.com. Definitely check it out, ladies and gentlemen. This is brand new. It just came out um, literally like two weeks ago from today. Actually, I think it's a little less than two weeks ago. So definitely check it out. It just came out. Be the first one in your coven. Be the first one in your community to own it. And definitely spread the word, Kellyana. You are amazing. This album is amazing. Thank you for sharing uh, with us, again, your, your wonderful voice and your wonderful insight. 
So, all right. Um, well, I guess that's it for my ranting. Next up, we have an interview with Reverend Hyperion right after the break. When you are searching for spirit, it's time to enter the mystic dream. We are a spiritual and magical marketplace in Walnut Creek, California, specializing in books, music, crystals, classes, and art to inspire the mind and delight the spirit. The Mystic Dream, where ancient wisdom meets the new aeon. Find us on the web at www.themysticdream.com. This is Pastor Deacon Fred from Landover Baptist Church coming to you live talking to you about one of the major problems this country's facing right now, and that's Wicca. Wicca is ruining this country. We've got these fat, pudgy-faced, little, pale, Wiccan kids with piercings all over their bodies and tattoos riddled across their shoulders. You know what we do at Landover Baptist Church when we've got a Wiccan problem? We hunt them down in the woods. There's no better feeling than driving your pickup truck down the road knowing full well you got four or five pudgy, fat-faced little Wiccans tied up in the back of that thing and you're going to let them run through them woods. And you and your best friend Bubba, God bless his soul, going to hunt them down with shotguns. There's no greater feeling when you take the coon hounds out and tree a live Wiccan. Why that, yeah, 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 oh, I tell you what, just last week we had this, it was about, oh, I'd say about three or four hundred pound Wiccan just scurry up a tree like a raccoon. And a dirgone tree just nearly fell down till we lit the thing on fire. That scaredy pants just ran right on down. Well, you know what we did with him? We took him out to Bubba's cellar, and we tied him up to the furnace. And we poked him with hot iron pokers, and we read scripture verses to him from the book of Leviticus until he confessed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. We don't know where it happened to him after that, because we sort of lost track, but uh, a couple of police officers found some fingers in a garbage dumpster outside the Landover Baptist Student Recreation Center that week. Today, joining me in the studio is Reverend Hyperion, and he is the founder and host of the Unnamed Path, one that's a podcast and one that's an actual spiritual tradition. Reverend Hyperion, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So if you could tell the listeners a little bit about who is Reverend Hyperion. <laughs> That's a complicated topic, but no, um, Hyperion. Well, I am basically a, um, a shaman. Uh, I have extensive background in a multitude of spiritual paths, uh, pagan and not. Um, but from all these paths, I've pull together what I consider to be the core of my practice. So uh, I am a shaman. I am a spell crafter. I am a, a psychic or a uh, prophet is actually the term I prefer to use. So I, I do um, I have the ability to foresee the future and I use that to assist other people. Uh, I'm an energy healer. Uh, I'm also a death walker. And uh, death walker is somebody that has an intimate connection with the power of death and with those that have died and kind of acts as an intermediary between them and the living. Uh, I'm also a professional astrologer um, and I have a little side business going on where I sell magical supplies and uh, that kind of, you know, describes what I do and kind of who I am, but I have a real long history in um, paganism and the magical arts all the way back to when I was the tender age of 12 and got my first tarot deck and, um, all along the, the way, I've studied various different traditions of um, Wicca, of traditional witchcraft, um, Santeria, Apollo. Uh, while it's not magic per se, it's certainly something that contributed to my magical practice that would be Reiki. Um, 
you know, self-taught astrologer, uh, herbalist, um, just a, a whole mixed bag of various different spiritual practices. But uh, all these things have kind of brought me to where I am now and helped me bring together the unnamed path that is kind of the culmination of my personal spiritual practice that in turn ended up becoming a spiritual path for men who love men that I could share with my brothers. That kind of describes me. All right. Well, since that describes you, um, if you could describe the unnamed path in, in, a, in one sentence, you know, we have all of these spiritual traditions out there and they've all got these long lists of, of what they're about. But <laughs> if we can get down to the nitty gritty and in one sentence, what would you say the unnamed path is? Okay. Well, that's a really good question. The unnamed path is an emerging shamanic path for men who love men that is composed of four parts, magic and prophecy, shamanism, energy healing, and death walking. All right. So speaking of these four paths, you have this kind of fourfold tradition um, that, that's, again, you know, this shamanic tradition that you've um, put all, a lot of energy into, but you have these four paths. Can you explain how the paths work as far as roles go within the, within the actual tradition? Okay. Yeah, the, um, these four general roles came out of the innate spiritual um, – uh, gifts, I guess would be the good term to use, uh, spiritual gifts that men who love men have. It's kind of, we have a knack for these things. And um, the four parts are, as I named before, magic and prophecy. That's actually one part. Prophecy being the forecasting tool of magic work. You know, find out what what your results of your magic are going to be like or what kind of magical action you have to take through the prophetic tools that are assisting you to get an understanding of the lay of the land. Um, so that's one part. Another part is um, shamanism, which involves traveling the spirit worlds through altered states of consciousness in order to either retrieve lore or build relationships with, um, with spiritual beings or gods or spirits of the dead um, and retrieve spirit medicine and bring it back to people. Uh, that's the second part. The third part is energy healing. And that was actually, even though it's the, I'm calling it the third part, it was actually the first portion of the information that I retrieved as part of this path. Um, energy healing involves the practitioner channeling uh, the vital forces of the universe into the recipient to assist their body in reestablishing balance and well-being. And uh, interestingly, energy healing works very intimately with the fourth part of the unnamed path, which is death walking. And death walking is the, um, the art of having a special relationship with death and the dead, such that you assist those who are dying by midwiving them through the dying process and helping them cross over with dignity and with peace. And the other half of death walking is being able to communicate with spirits of the dead and relay their messages back to the living or the messages of the living back to the dead. Um, so the, it's kind of interesting how that and energy healing in practical application work hand in hand. So those are the four parts of the unnamed path. All of them have come out of one basic understanding, and that is that men who love men have a unique spiritual capacity to access the other realms, to, to be able to sort of slip between the world of the physical world and the spiritual world because of our unique manner of loving, our, our what I call our capacity to love. And it's that unique tuning that we have, almost like an instrument is uniquely tuned, that allows us to easily access those realms and perform these magical roles for ourselves and for our society. And that's ultimately what the Unnamed Path tries to do is is build um, leadership uh, skills within the practitioners to be able to encourage these men to 
develop these skills and then go out into their communities and act as spiritual leaders for our communities and help empower our brothers to uh, move back into a place in society that I think men who love men need to return to. And that is a place um, of honor and dignity where we served a special role in ancient societies to help bring balance and perspective. And uh, because of much of the vilification that we've um, suffered in modern Western culture, um, that perspective is absent. And I think consequently our societies have fallen out of balance. So we strive to help reestablish that balance by empowering our brothers to you know, speak up and have that, that voice of power once again. So why would you feel the need? Um, and the reason why I'm touching on this is that, you know, we just had pride month, um, and, and a lot of the, the talk has been about gay spirituality and mm-hmm. I'm looking at you and I'm looking at the, you know, the unnamed path and I'm going, all right, so here is this tradition that really in its own is the first time that I've seen you know, gay myth and gay culture from a spiritual perspective put together and said, well, this is what we can do. So my question to you is, why would you feel the need to create that out of out of your experiences? Well, it's interesting. There's the need and then there's the assignment <laughs> because I had um, I'd grown up in traditional um, witchcraft and had always kind of been taught this this spiritual model of divinity where there was a god and a goddess and the two of them were consorts to one another and it was all sort of centered around this idea of fertility. And that's great and that's fun. But as a gay man, you know, our the sex that we have doesn't necessarily um, result in fertility. You know, we don't we're not birthing no babies. You know what I mean? So how does what is our most powerful um, mortal experience, sex? And its importance in magic, which is so played upon throughout mythology, how does that play a factor in this, um, what is essentially a heterosexist fertility cult? You know, how, what's our unique role? What do we have to, what picture do we have to play or what, what um, role do we have to play here? And uh, I searched and searched and I just couldn't find it. And um, finally, one day I came across a book by Andrew Raymer called Two Flutes Playing. If you are a man who loves men or someone who loves the men who love men, I highly recommend reading this book because this book ended up serving as an inspiration for me. It was a, um, a spiritually channeled book by Andrew Raymer where he accessed um, an ancestral pool of knowledge from what he calls the ancestors of men who love men and uh, kind of talked about some of the uh, historic roles that our people played for tribal societies. And this really piqued my interest. And so I decided through my own spiritual work, primarily through shamanic journey work, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go meet these ancestors of men who love men. I'm going to go find out what they can teach me and how maybe they can resolve this this apparent conflict that I have where, yeah, I mean, I was always accepted in my Wiccan circles, but where's my unique special thing? You know, where's my, where's my niche? Okay. So I went on shamanic journeys and I met these ancestors of men who live men and was greeted with such open arms and such enthusiasm that they started the best way I could describe it. They started downloading this just vast amounts of information and spiritual practices. This lore just started coming to me in all of my journeys And uh, I just started documenting it and applying it in my own personal spiritual practice. So my own needs were fulfilled in essence. But then the need became the assignment. And that's when my personal guides were like, okay, great. Well, we gave you all this information, so now you got to go out and teach people. And I mean, I was like, are you kidding me? I've only had, you know, a couple of years to practice this. I'm not an expert. And they're like, don't worry. It, the need is out there. Other people have the same need you had. So go out there and share this with your brothers because now is the time they need it. 
And I did. And I started doing my podcast. And that was a little over three years ago I started that podcast. There's now 67 episodes or so. I've been a little remiss in putting up podcast episodes lately, but it's for a good reason. I'm now teaching classes in person. So um, the podcast were the original format of the classes, and that's why I started putting that out there. And the response was incredible. Um, I had men from not only all over our country, but all over the world contacting me and saying, oh my God, I've been starving for something like this. Or I've been feeling this in my own heart, in my own spiritual practice. I've been getting messages. I've been getting dreams. I've been getting, you know, it's very clear that there's a global movement happening where this awakening is happening within the gay community to recapture a spiritual role that we played and, um, and embrace it, develop it, and apply it as, a, as a, an act of self-empowerment and an act of uh, social empowerment. Um, and the ending path is really just, you know, one incarnation of that. I'm not the only path out there. There's others, you know, and I don't claim to be the sole authority on, you know, gay spirituality by any means. But, um, but what I can say is that the work that I've done has changed people's lives. And I'm really humbled that I can say that and that I've seen that. Um, and so, you know, that's, it's, like I said, the need became the assignment and the assignment ended up addressing and healing other people's needs. So, you know, I was a channel for greater work. All right. And we'll be back with Reverend Hyperion right after this break. have a real problem then you need real powerful magic conjuredoctor.com offers a wide array of magical baths condition oils powders and mojo bags based on time-honored hoodoo folk magic our products are made with the highest quality essential oils herbs and curios for magical potency want true love need to hotfoot somebody out of town want to draw money into your life then visit conjuredoctor.com today and get what you want So, Reverend Hyperion, do you feel that the unnamed path can offer anything to the broader pagan spectrum? Uh, you know, the trans community, heterosexuals. Yeah, I yeah. Well, you know, that's. I look at it as you know, all of these various spiritual paths are kind of like colors on the artist's palette, and the more variety that we have, the more accurately I think we can access the entire spectrum of divinity and the entire spiritual experience. You know, it's really. Um, it's really not about division per se. It's more about celebrating our uniquenesses. You know, I, I celebrate and honor and love all of the, um, the straight mysteries that are in Wicca, you know, and I would like to think that they would celebrate and honor all of the gay mysteries that are in the unnamed path. Because when we look at both of those things and we see ourselves mirrored or see our similarities, see our differences, we can start to really appreciate, appreciate the entire, um, spectrum of humanity and all the various experiences that we have. I mean, I have a lot of listeners that are straight that listen to my podcast and they love it. And I mean, they'll, they'll email me and they'll be like, Oh my God, you just explained a spiritual concept that I have been wrestling with for years and been unable to eloquently state. And you said it in like two words, 
Do you know what I mean? So I think there's always something that you can gain from other paths, whether they're aimed at you or not, as long as you've got an open mind and you listen to it. Like, I mean, the same thing, um, although the unempath is for men who love men, I have a lot of women who love women that listen to my podcast and they get great ideas. And I always tell them, hey, you know what? I am not an expert in women who love women, obviously. I encourage you to take what maybe some of the techniques I have and go fetch the lore for your people. Go find out what your ancestors have to share, what mysteries they have to um, reveal to you and bring that back to your sisters so that then you can help boost them up and help them out. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I just see it kind of as, you know, the, the benefits they can gain are um, a greater perspective, a greater understanding, and maybe pick up a few tools that they can use to deepen their own understanding. So what would you say the advantages of having a tradition that was male-centric? Well, there's a lot of uh, advantages. Uh, first of all, the one thing that the unnamed path affords men who love men primarily and first and foremost is a celebration and an honoring of something that ha- they have been vilified for for so many years. Okay, that when When our own manner of loving, which is – our, our source of power. It's what I, I, I tell my, my listeners and my students. The, the way that we love, our unique manner of loving is the source of our spiritual power, and yet it is the thing that we have been vilified for for so many years. When we turn that on its head and turn it into something that's a powerful spiritual gift and something to honor and celebrate, right there you're making a huge paradigm shift for men that have been um, downtrodden for so many years. Um, it Just that little shift right there can help heal so many wounds that men have carried for years. So that's one benefit right there. The other thing too is you get to tap into a new set of spiritual mysteries. When a man makes love to a man, certain energies, I almost sound like I'm giving you a birds and a bees talk, um, <laughs> certain energies are unlocked that occur um, where you know a, a man and a woman making love might um, unleash fertility energy and the energy of birth and creating new life. When two men come together and do that, it unlocks healing. And that healing can be used not only to heal ourselves, but to heal each other and heal our society. So right there, you're, you're unleashing a healing force into a society that is so very fragmented and so um, very divisive right now. And d- just that mere act and the mere celebration and honoring of that um, can do good things for the individual practitioners and the, for, for the society as a whole. So, you know, right there, there's, there's unique mysteries for all combinations of, you know, genders. And same thing for trans people. You know, I've had, I've had people um, that are trans tell me, hey, you know, is there room for us in the unnamed path? And what I always come back and tell them is there's room for you in every path. But, but the unnamed path is unique sets of mysteries for men who love men. So what I encourage you to do is go speak to your trans ancestors because you are sacred, holy beings on the earth. Find out what your unique um, contribution to the mix is. Foster that, develop it, and contribute it to the greater mix of the of the whole pagan community. Because again, I'm not an expert in that field. I'm not a trans person. So uh, that's you know, it's the same kind of thing. When, anytime you honor the unique skills and abilities and gifts that any group has, you can then grow those and contribute them and take them back to the tribe and, and assist the tribe. And you know, and, and the, the tribe for us now is you know, giant Western civilization, but we still benefit from having that there. So while you were developing the unnamed path, um, and I know that you had you've said earlier that a lot of it was channeled, and a lot of things came to you when you were you know doing shamanic journeying. But what cultures or traditions most influenced you as you were developing the unnamed path? 
That's an excellent question, and I've had other people ask it too. Um, there's, it's interesting. There's no one particular culture that influences any of the unnamed path, and the reason for that is because as men who love men, what I always say is we are a tribe that extends beyond any ethnic or political boundaries. We are a tribe of men that literally extends around the entire globe. And we're united as a tribe by our common experiences that we go through in life and our shared perspective on life that comes out of our manner of loving that, that helps us view life in a certain way. And it's that shared perception and those shared experiences that makes us a tribe of heart instead of a tribe of ethnicity or a tribe of cult, you know, of, of blood. Okay. Um, so that's, why there is no particular cultural thing. You're not going to hear Celtic names or African names or, you know, Asian names or anything like that. You're going to hear terms like light goddess, dark goddess, things like that. Um, names that seem generic, but actually tap into something that transcends culture. Now, in terms of practices, I will say from my own personal training and magical skills and things that I developed, um, some of the most pivotal contributions came from my shamanic work, um, which I was trained by, um, by a straight guy who actually um, studied under a couple different Native American tribes. He, st he studied several different schools of shamanism under them. He studied with the Peyote Indians and he studied with the Chumash Indians. Uh, we lovingly call him Shaman Tim. And um, Tim taught me his neo-shamanic technique, where he basically took these shamanic practices and developed his own shamanic uh, technique, uh, which was just, you know, altered state of consciousness through um, rhythm. Okay, so we didn't use entheogens or anything like that to cause an altered um, state of consciousness. Uh, that tool proved to be the most effective in me going and fetching information and bringing it back. So that one is the reason why we have such elaborate volumes of information. Now, in terms of um, building relationships with our deities or tapping into the current of energy that we use in our tradition, I'd have to say that it was the training that I received in mediumship when I was um, coming up in Santeria in, in the process of channeling spirits and allowing energies to move through you and allow yourself to be um, a current or allow the current to pass through you of energies, be they spirits of the dead or spirits of deities or whatever. It was that, that channeling slash possessory experience that allowed me to really tap into these deep currents of energy and be able to bring them here into the physical world so that people could interact with them. Um, I mean, there's nothing like sitting face to face with one of your deities and being able to talk to them and play 20 questions and get everything you need out of them instead of reading it out of a book. So it, it added a real visceral element to the tradition. Um, so I would say it would be those two things and, um, yeah, it would be those two things. It would it would absolutely be those two things that I think contributed the greatest to the volume of information that we have in the unnamed path. But again, devoid of any cultural lens, we have our own sort of um, culture that transcends any ethnical barriers or anything like that. Can you explain what pantheon you use in the unnamed path? Oh, okay. Well, um, we don't use a we don't, well, I hate the term use. We don't work with a pantheon that comes from any specific culture. Our pantheon is one that comes out of um, our unique energy current that we tap into as men who love men. There are four deities in that pantheon, two goddesses and two gods. 
Now, um, it's important to explain upfront that the gods and the goddesses are not consorts to one another like they are in many traditional pagan paths, because again, that doesn't reflect our own experience of loving and you know sexuality. We're not a fertility cult. So the goddess um, has basically two forms, the light goddess and the dark goddess. Um, the dark goddess is singular in nature, and the best way I can describe her is to say that she is like the origin point. You know, when you took um, geometry, there's kind of like that, you, they taught you the concept of a point, that a point is a location, but it has no volume, no width, no height, nothing like that, but it exists and it's a place, okay? The dark goddess is kind of like that point, okay? She is the nothingness that exists, in order for everything to exist. Think of her as the darkness between the stars that allows the stars to be, okay? The dark goddess is that. She is the most powerful, profound, unrelenting force in all of nature. And she existed before anything existed. She is a primordial goddess. Um, the dark goddess is, she is my, my matron goddess. Um, she can kind of be seen in other dark goddesses from other cultures. I like to say, for example, if you look at other dark goddesses, like we've got Caridwen, we've got Kali, we've got uh, Sekhmet, we've got Oya, we've got all these other goddesses from other cultures that are all kind of that, that dark, powerful, you know, empowered woman kind of energy. You can think of those culture, as cultural lenses on the dark goddess. They are fingers on your hand. And then if you trace those fingers back down to your palm of your hand, the back down to the wrist and back down to your arm, the dark goddess of the unnamed path is the arm. She's something deeper beyond culture, almost like a titanic force from which all of these other dark goddesses can spring up. Okay, so she that's a good way to think of her. Now, her counterpart, the light goddess, the light goddess is um, everything that is manifested in existence. So the dark goddess is kind of the potential of manifestation. The light goddess is the actual manifestation of that potential. Um, she is seen in the radiant stars in the sky, in the, the little stream that cuts through the mountain, in plants and animals, in a laughing child, in the ocean, in everything. That is the light goddess. I almost think of her as all of nature, where the dark goddess is the energetic underpinning that allows that to exist. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the light goddess and the dark goddess. You can almost think of the two of them as the stage upon which all life happens. Then there's the gods. Now, the gods, the light god and the dark god, are consorts to one another. Okay, so the light god and the dark god. So there we have a homoerotic um, divine coupling that takes place there. The light god and the dark god are actually each other, just in different phases of experience. The light god is... Um, a very uh, transpersonal, otherworldly, um, evolve beyond your mere human experience kind of God. He's very much about understand your fate, understand your role in fate, um, always try to act altruistically, see things from a greater perspective in life. Um, very logical, very high-minded, very you know upper world kind of like God. The dark God is that energy that descended down into earth and enlivened and animated all living creatures here on earth, primarily mankind, and gave us our intelligence and our intellect and our brilliance. And the dark god is the collective human brilliance that we have, the, the 
force that is within us that strives us to want to go after our goals, the force of ingenuity that helps us pick up a rock and make it into a tool and then take that that rock and melt it down and make it into iron and forge a, a better tool out of it and then take that tool and refine it and how it's used until the tool is stronger than just your arm. That whole force of ingenuity, that that's kind of like the dark god. And the dark god is truly the master of humanity. He is the one that is orchestrating all of our collective efforts here on earth uh, down from the the smallest of human desires to want to go get a milkshake when you're craving one up to the most you know worldly of wanting to conquer the world you know what i mean that that is the spectrum of the dark god is very human very passionate very animalic very desire driven where the light god is very selfless and very um altruistic so they're kind of mirrors to one another and they meet in the middle and are consorts to one another and make love primarily in our hearts as men who love men and we you know because we see the divine mirroring and echoing our interpersonal relationships, our, you know, our model of love, we can directly experience the union of the light God and the dark God in our loving relationships that we have with other men. So right there, you can see how you'd access a huge vault of spiritual healing of, um, of, atonement of, uh, in the sense of at one mint, you know, atonement, you get that sense of coming home when you can finally see God reflected in yourself and yourself reflected in God, especially in the most powerful and pleasurable experience that you have, which is your sexuality, because there's an intimate connection between sex and magic. There really is. The, 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 there's, I would say there's the three most powerful things that a person can go through are birth, sex, and death. And you only get to do one of those over and over again in one lifetime, and that's sex. So those three experiences have a lot of spiritual power in them. So it should make logical sense that um, the way we work with deity should involve those in a healthy way. So that's our pantheon. They've got the light god and the dark god that are consorts to one another and reflections of one another. And then we have the light goddess and the dark goddess. One emerges from the other. The light goddess emerges from the dark goddess. So that's our pantheon. And what would you say some of the core tenets of the unnamed path would be? Okay. So are, are you asking tenets like ethics or tenets like these are things that we value? What are the things that you value? Okay. Well, one of the biggest things that we value in the unnamed path, and I can't stress this enough, is integrity. Um, I try to foster within all of my students and with all of my listeners the importance of integrity. Integrity for me means being a person of your word, being a person that does what they say they're going to do and that acts in accordance with who they really are. You know, we don't have a list of commandments or a, or rules like, you know, harm none or anything like that. We have one basic rule and that is that you should always act in accordance with your true nature, be true to who you are. And, um, you will, people will always be able to count on you. People will always know what they're getting from you. You're being honest. You're acting from a place of, um, I don't want to say pride. Pride's not the right word, but you're acting from a place of um, genuineness, honesty, and dependability. And how better to foster leadership within someone than to really grow their sense of, um, of integrity? Okay, so integrity is one of the most important things. Um, another really important thing is relationship. In our, um, in our path, 
I always tell people, you know, I can teach you all kinds of spells and I can teach you, you know, shamanic journeying techniques and all this other stuff. But ultimately what I'm here to do is to introduce you to a relationship to yourself and a relationship to the divine and a relationship to the ancestors. And it's your job to foster that relationship because true power comes from relationships, magical relationships that you have with these entities. Because if you're tight, you know, if you're really tight with your gods and you're tight with your ancestors, you can call upon them in a heartbeat, in in the flicker of a thought, and they're there instantly to assist you. And you don't have to, you know, call quarters and raise a circle and make a big, you know, show. You can just move internally, make a simple request, and they're there and responding to your um, needs in, a, in an instant. And, you know, the more that you do that, the stronger your relationship is with your guides, your gods, your ancestors, or whatever. You start to become a representative for their energies walking here on this earth. And, you know, you have to have integrity when you're doing that because if you're going to be a representative for the gods walking on the earth, you're going to be a jerk to everyone that, you know, everyone's path that you cross. You're not being a real good embodiment for that deity's energy. You know what I mean? So these two things kind of go hand in hand. Um, so I'd say integrity, relationship, um, Aside from that, I would say community. You know, one of the big things with our spiritual path is that we encourage men to foster their sense of leadership and take their skills and go out into the community. Offer them to your brothers and sisters. Um, make yourself known as a spiritual practitioner so that people can call upon you when they need their help. Their, you need your help. Excuse me. They're, um, we're not armchair occultists. We don't just sit at home and read books and ponder wonderful ideas. We go out in the field. We put things to work. We test, experiment, um, refine, perfect, and then take those techniques and make them available to those who need them. We don't just stay locked in our apartments and, you know, not help anybody with it. We want, we want to go out there. And it can be as simple as just offering, um, Offering your services as a sounding board to people, you know, and giving them wise counsel. Sometimes it's casting a spell so somebody can get a job. You know, it just really depends. But the whole idea ultimately is you are a healer for society because of the spiritual tools that you have. So community is very, very important as well. So we've talked a little bit about uh, your, your podcast, The Unnamed Path. And I'm a really big fan of it. I've actually, it was one of the reasons why I well, thank thought, you. hey, I should start my podcast. So, <laughs> oh, um, thank you. Yeah, I'm a really big fan. I think, the, you know, just specifically the subject matter that you, you talk about is so near and dear to um, a, lot of, a lot of hearts out there that, that identify as homosexual. So I think it's just mm -hmm. phenomenal work. But for everybody else out there who maybe hasn't had a chance yet to hear your podcast, what can you tell us about it? Uh, well, typically the podcast, it takes a lecture format. Um, I have a different topic each podcast and, um, some of the later podcasts have started to get a little bit creative and give people, you know, here's some, some exercises you can try out. Um, but basically the podcasts are best listened to in order. Um, some people want to jump around, but I tell people, Hey, listen to them in order because I literally recorded them as I was told to record them. So, you know, listen to them in order. Um, to supplement the podcast, we have a Yahoo discussion group where we have a discussion of the week to expand upon those topics. There's a link from the um, site's homepage on the right-hand side leading to that Yahoo group. Um, the website is unnamedpath.com, so it's easy enough to find. You can also find it on iTunes by searching for Unnamed Path. And um, the podcast is free, and it's easy to download. If you don't know how to make podcasts work, you can just go to our website, and there's a how-to. It makes it really easy for everybody. Um, but, yeah, pretty much it's me lecturing. <laughs> you know, a little commercial break here and there, but that's pretty much it, me, me lecturing. 
Reverend Hyperion, where can we see you teaching this year? Oh, okay. Well, um, so far, my track record has been that I've been blessed to be able to present at PantheaCon for the last three years in a row. PantheaCon, for people that don't know, is a um, pan-denominational pagan festival that takes place in San Jose, California, usually on President's Day weekend. And... um, you know that, so I give a lecture there, and it's usually a really wonderful event to go to. I try to come up with some really powerful, deep stuff so that you know folks that only get to see me that one time a year get the most out of it. So I try to I try to make a big deal out of those. So you can uh, you can always see me present there. I have been presenting at um, a pagan campout event down here in the. Uh, greater Los Angeles, Southern California area that's called May Magic. This year was my first year presenting, but I had such great response that I'm going to try to make a point of going every year. Um, and this year was really special because we actually um, we tried a mill to go down into the underworld and help the spirits of the dead to come up out of the earth to reincarnate because Beltane, which is when the event takes place, is the time when spirits are dying and becoming living beings. So it's their Samhain. And that's what we did. We did a ritual called the Samhain of the Dead. And um, and it was really a powerful, beautiful experience. And people were really blown away by it. I, I was kind of surprised because it's, you know, kind of simple for me. But I was just like, all right, great. So I'll come back every year and do it, you know. Um, so I'm going to be presenting at May Magic. I am also teaching classes in person. And that's the primary format by which I'm teaching right now. Um, I do offer my classes through Skype. So I've got a class right now going that's got about seven students. Three are in California, three are in Texas, and one is in New York. And, you know, the the Skype affords us the opportunity to really be able to come together across such large distances and still make it work. Um, I teach on a cycle that happens once a year. The classes usually start in the spring. So this class is going to keep going until about springtime, at which point I will open up to taking new students, and I will make announcements of that on the Unimpath Yahoo group. So if anyone's interested, just keep an eye out there. And um, for people who are interested in studying but you know can't wait, just start listening to the podcast. You have 67 of them to listen to, and if you listen to one a week, you'll have plenty to take you over until spring. <laughs> All right. So yeah. something very interesting um, about you is that you, you're actually a very multi-talented man. And, oh, thank you. Um, you, you have a, what, a company um, that yes. you run out that you, you sell magical supplies. Can you tell yes. us w- what are the other faces of, of Reverend Hyperion? <laughs> well, um, I do have – I have an online store uh, where I sell magical supplies, uh, oils, mojo bags, powders, um, uh, herbal baths they're all created using southern folk magic magical attributes uh, i am when it comes to magic i'm a root worker i practice hoodoo um, hoodoo being southern folk magic not voodoo as in the religion of the island of haiti um, so there's that and and in that practice i operate under the name dr e dr e is my professional name as a root worker so it's dr e products you can find that website at conjuredoctor.com um and you know it's an online store. Um, off of that site, I actually have a blog where I give people spell ideas too. So even if you don't want to shop for stuff, you can check out my blog and get some great spell ideas there. So that's my primary, um, you know, alternate persona that I operate out of. I am also actively involved in the Lukumi religion, um, which is. Uh, 
derogatorily known as Santeria. Um, I was initiated in 2001 as a priest of Shango, and I still practice that, and I'm still actively involved in that. But you won't really see me mention much of that online. Um, that's pretty much just for me, you know, doing that. Um, I'm also an initiated priest in Palo, which is an Afro, uh, Afro-Cuban religion that originates from the Congo. Um, and, uh, that, that again is also just for my own private spiritual evolution and so forth. So, I mean, I've got all of these different spiritual backgrounds that I still participate in, but the main ones you're going to see, uh, online or out in the public are going to be Hyperion teaching the unempath and Dr. E offering root working services. All right. Well, Reverend Hyperion, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. Oh, you're th- and thank you. You're very welcome, and thank you for the opportunity to be able to, uh, you know, talk to your listeners and be a part of your podcast. You've got a really great show going. Well, thank you very much, and hopefully we can have you on again in the future. I'd love that. You know, hit me up for any topic. I'm game. <laughs> All right, and when we come back, we will be listening to Paul Bogle and our brand new witchy astrology forecast for July. Greetings to the Modern Witch listeners, and thank you, Devin, for such a fabulous and interesting show. My name is Paul Bogle, and I'm your cosmic interpreter for the astrology forecast for July 2010. We're having a total eclipse new moon this July, specifically on July 11th. The super new moon following on the heels of the lunar eclipse grand square full moon at the end of June ought to be very interesting. Most new moons are prime times for new beginnings, initiating projects, putting intentions into actions, and taking those bold steps forward. This eclipse new moon, with the sun blocked in totality by the shadow of Luna, means there's less clear connection between our rational conscious mind and the subconscious, instinctive, soulful aspects of our nature. There will be potent messages from the wise and the guiding lunar aspect of our consciousness, but our reasoning may be faulty, our decision-making capacities somehow afflicted. Thus, this time and in the six days surrounding the eclipse, specifically July 8th through the 14th, it is advisable to pause, reflect, pause, notice, and wait some more. Make sure your impulses and actions are supported and invited by the outer world. Things change swiftly, circumstances are altered, and sudden events, big endings, and startling new developments often require reevaluation and adjustments in plans due to the influence and effect of an eclipse. This dark moon phase, prior to the new moon eclipse, July 8th through the 10th, is supremely excellent for ridding, banishing, and elimination. Due to the Neptune-Chiron aspects at the time of the last full moon lunar eclipse in late June, we have been cosmically assisted as we endeavor to purify ourselves of bad habits, addictions, and unhealthy avoidance and escapist tendencies. Realigning ourselves with the source of inspiration and opening to creativity, empowerment, and blessings will be helped greatly this summer by clearing out our unhealthy tendencies and behaviors, especially related 
to refined foods, sugar, alcohol and drugs, TV addictions, and so on. Cleanup and intuition and imagination will be sharpened, heightened, and clarified. During the dark of the moon, July 8th through the 14th, watch for signs and signals from the World Channel. Attend to those omens, the cry of bird, the sound of sirens, those key and informative synchronicities that Goddess is continually providing to guide and awaken us. So this takes us to the Leo full moon, the wart moon, on July 25th. Wart is the old world word for plant or herb. We find it in St. John's wort or mugwort. During this seasonal phase, fertility is obvious and abundant. It's time to share generously. Make your efforts towards bringing your harvest to full maturity. Call forth the moon's protective energy during this time for your current harvest, which means all of your productive endeavors. That would be good magical work during July. It pulls in the energy needed for the task of bringing in that bounty. And if you have friends who are needing to bring in their bounty, it's a great time to generously support and assist them as well. The lunar drawing ritual, whereby you call the moon by name, guide or channel that energy towards some goal you will have made for yourself, either previous to or around this most recent new moon, is great magical work now. Of course, you may have to make some adjustments and reevaluations due to the eclipse weirdness, so therefore an extra specially good time for that lunar protective energy available now. The wart moon is the full moon seen during the sign when the sun is in Leo. Thus, courage, protection, and positive pride will be supported modalities that bloom in full at the wart moon. Leo energy, illuminated at the full phase when the moon is in Aquarius, supports us in loving more and bringing in such great positive energy that we can shift negativity and turn undesirable situations around. Think locally, personally, and globally. Look for opportunities to put a smile on people's faces. Spontaneous play, breaking a few self-limiting and unnecessary rules can allow you to feel both the freedom to be yourself and the irrepressible joy of being alive. For my research, I'd like to thank Enchanted Oak Publishing, MoonMuses.com. This is Paul Bogle, your cosmic interpreter. Until next month, be happy. ladies and gentlemen, and that concludes the show for July. Uh, special thanks to you for tuning in and downloading and, of course, for spreading the word about the Modern Witch Podcast, because helping promote the Modern Witch Podcast is like helping baby pandas in China. Yep, it's that important. Also, special thanks goes out to Paul Bogle for taking over as the show astrologer. You can check out more information about him by going to www.astro-counselor.com. 
Special thanks also is very much so deserved for the Reverend Hyperion for doing the interview and coming on the show. Look forward to having you on again. For more information about the Unnamed Path, you can visit the website, unnamedpath.com, or you can, of course, download the uh, podcast by going to iTunes and searching Unnamed Path. Um, for more information about Kellyanna and her new album, you can go to her website, kellyanna.com, which is K-E-L-L-I-A-N-N-A.com, and, or you can download it off of iTunes as well. Um, I did just get a chance to talk to the Earth Warriors counselor, just to let you guys know, and they let me know that if you are interested, you could see Kenny Klein, Mr. Sellers, Kellyanna, Carla Hawkwalker, the Gypsy Nomads, Reverend Robin, Joint Alex Wedmedic, Bernadette Montana, David Sorcher, and a whole boatload of other presenters and musicians by going to the festival this year. If you're interested, definitely check out earthwarriorsfestival.com. You can buy tickets. You can see what the schedule is all about. You can see all kinds of stuff. So I hope to see you guys there. I will be there broadcasting live. Um, which I'm really excited about. It'll be the first time doing that with the podcast. So again, I hope to see you guys there. You can check us out online by checking out our new YouTube channel. You can go to youtube.com slash modern, which podcast. And again, I'll be posting up like weekly things. Um, I can post some video. I can do all kinds of stuff. So definitely check that out as well. Favorite, uh, the whole nine yards. Please become a fan of the Modern Witch Podcast on Facebook. If you have a Facebook account, just search Modern Witch Podcast. I will pop up. It'll be awesome. I would love to to have as many fans as I possibly can. Big thanks goes out to all the listeners. We have over 4,000, almost 5,000 subscribers on iTunes, and each show is hitting just about 2,000 downloads. So that's a really big deal. That's a lot of thanks. I really appreciate it. You guys are keeping us afloat. Again, the website for me is devinhunter.net. The podcast is modernwitch.podbean.com. Um, there's also a blog kind of attached to that as well. And, of course, you can check out our YouTube channel by going to youtube.com slash modernwitchpodcast. All right. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful, wonderful July.